Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental justice stories from across so-called Australia and around the world. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio on unceded Wurundjeri country and broadcast around the continent via the Community Radio Network. My name is Priya Kunjan and it's good to be with you. Today you'll be hearing the first part of a two-part conversation that I had in early September 2023 with Professor Katerina Tewa and Itin Sirungare Bantes. Katerina and Ray joined me to discuss the colonial history of phosphate mining on the island of Banabar and the fight by Banabans for reparations and an end to extraction. This conversation occurred in the context of a push this year by Australian mining company Centrax to conduct phosphate prospecting activities on the island under the greenwashing premise of rehabilitation. Katerina is an interdisciplinary scholar, artist, and award-winning teacher of Banaban, Ikiribas, and African-American heritage born and raised in Fiji. She is Professor of Pacific Studies in the School of Culture, History, and Language, College of Asia and the Pacific at the Australian National University, and a Senior Fellow of the Higher Education Academy. Ray is of Banaban and Kiribati origins and was raised and educated in Fiji. Ray's environment and social justice work are linked to Kiribati people's histories and the extent of environmental degradation caused by extensive mining. Again, remember that this week you'll be hearing the first part of my conversation with Katerina and Ray, so make sure to tune into Earth Matters next week to catch the rest. Katerina and Ray, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, of course. Um, so maybe uh, just to start off, I'll get both of you to to introduce yourselves in your own voices uh, so listeners know who's speaking. So Katerina, do you want to go first and then Ray? Sure. Um, Kam Maori, everyone, and Nisambula Vinaka. My name is Katerina Tewa. I'm a professor of Pacific Studies at the Australian National University, um, I am of Banaban and Kiribati descent, uh, and Fiji is my home, but I've been in Canberra for many years. Thank you, and my name is uh, Isinterunga Ray Bentes, and I am a, a third uh, generation of Banaban uh, born in Fiji. Uh, I'm currently working in uh, Rembi, uh, doing a lot of uh, voluntary service for my people. Uh, this is my third year. And uh, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Um, really appreciate being able to speak with you both because I know that um, between you, there is a real wealth of knowledge, both about, um, you know, the historical side of climate colonialism and of displacement, but also around activism and organizing an international fora uh, for, you know, climate justice and for, basically the self-determination of Bonobans. So, um, Katerina, I thought maybe we could begin by centering some of the significance of the ancestral lands and waters of Bonobans and the integral importance of Bonoba uh, for its people's heritage and identity. So could you begin by speaking a little bit to what this means to give listeners an idea of what's at stake in this renewed push for phosphate mining of the island that we're going to be discussing? And Ray, feel free to chime in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I have been studying the history of Banaba, which is in the central 
Pacific, which is now uh, what is known as Kiribati um, for about 25 years. Um, and I, I began doing this research because as a Banaban living in Fiji, part of a minority community, I wasn't quite sure who we were and where we came from and how we ended up being one of, you know, a few minority communities in Fiji. And so through the course of my research, both, both at the master's level, the PhD level, and then later as an academic, I started to understand um, the impact of eight decades of phosphate mining on Banaba, uh, but also began to understand it as a, a place uh, that was very sacred and very important to the Banaban people who are now spread across the islands of, of Rambi, you know, mainly on Rambi, but then also um, caretakers living on Banaba and then uh, a, a Banaban diaspora that spreads across Fiji, Australia, Aotearoa, New Zealand, the United States and elsewhere. And even though uh, there's, we need to, to take a proper census, but there's probably around 7,000 of us in total, people who can claim to be of, of, of Banaban descent. We come from an island that is only six square kilometers. So one of the smallest islands you could imagine in the Pacific, but something that was so incredibly significant to um, the British Empire uh, in, in the Pacific. And Banabans had been living on Banaba for thousands of years, almost 3000 years, if not longer. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty limited environment in terms of flora and fauna um, and quite dry weather where they would be periodic droughts. And it was quite a challenging environment. But in spite of that, Bonobans created this amazing, thriving, relatively peaceful culture that existed in the center of the Pacific and had kinship and links to uh, its closest neighbor, which is Nauru, which is another maybe better known phosphate island. Um, and then also to islands uh, in, the Gil in the Gilbert Islands, which is now uh, a part of Kiribati, um, the Marshall Islands, Koshrai, Tuvalu and other islands. But because Banaba is quite, it's relatively isolated and far away from others, um, they developed a really interesting thriving culture that was this combination of fishing, um, and a connection to the ocean around it because there isn't much of a reef around Banaba. It's sort of like you walk to the edge and then boom, you're in the deep ocean. So they developed all of this amazing fishing techniques. And then it was a historically a nesting place for birds. So because it's one of the few islands where if you're flying across the ocean, you need a place to rest. Banaba was one of those places. And that's actually why there's so much rich phosphate on that island because bird droppings combined with like this marine uh, calcium phosphate base, which was also consisted of dead marine life, which fused together with the guano that was coming from the birds and created an incredibly rich phosphate island. The whole entire island is made out of phosphate and it turns out it's quite high grade phosphate. But Banabans understood that they belong to the rock. That is what the name Banaba means that, that they were people of the rock. And in their um, oral traditions, the rock actually comes from the sky. So you have like land that comes from the sky and land that comes from the sea and fuses together. So 
scientists will say, oh, it comes, you know, this comes from bird droppings from the sky and Barnabans will be like, well, we already know that from our oral um, traditions and our, uh, our origin stories. And so Barnabans were people of the rock, you know, they had an amazing culture, but they were left alone because no one, you know, came, who came across Barnaba tried to claim it for uh, colonial empires until the phosphate was discovered. And then it became the center of an entire um, industry pretty much overnight. Mm. And it was Australians, New Zealanders and British um, investors and agricultural fertilizer interests that came very hungrily <laughs> looking for that phosphate. And then the rest is history, um, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ray, did you want to add anything uh, to that about the significance of Banaba as a, as a place and as a center of heritage and identity? Yeah, and I can uh, speak to, you know, the experience of a young person who's not been to Barnabas because uh, we are third generations of Barnabans. So it was my great-grandmother uh, and granddad that, you know, uh, that arrived in Fiji. So I'd be the fourth great-grandparents, dad. I'm the fourth, yeah, yeah. fourth generation. Yeah. So as a young person who's not been to Barnabas, but I've heard so much about Barnabé through all traditions because our ancestors and our people commemorate uh, and remember, uh, you know, the first arrival of our people on Ramby Island on 15 December, 1945. And I grew up, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, learning our history through uh, the stories that our elders share during the commemoration. Mm. And every time uh, someone talks about Barnaba, I get really hurt about what happened. And uh, which is why for me as a young person, it's very important to uh, do as much as we can to ensure that, you know, the source of our identity, culture, heritage remains and remains untouched because of any further exploration and, uh, you know, uh, extraction. Uh, because we've learned about what the 80 years of mining um, a course to our island and any further you know reminding of the island means that whatever was left is maybe less than 30 percent i mean we're, we're really struggling as young people uh to ensure that you know our, our home island remains untouched but yet we have a lot of aspiration to also one day uh you know visit uh Barnabas to make that connection mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that is such a important perspective to bring into this as well, because Ray, as you've spoken to, there has been this forced displacement of Bonobans, um, you know, from what Katerina has described as, you know, people uh, making a sense of place and a sense of home and interpreting the world uh, from this base that was created out of, you know, more than human relations uh, from the sea and from the sky and um, understanding their sense of place there, but having that be so severely disrupted through the, the phosphate, phosphate mining industry. You're listening to Earth Matters, covering environmental justice issues across so-called Australia and around the world. On today's show, we've been speaking with Professor Katerina Tewa and Ray Bantes, about phosphate mining of Banaba and efforts by Banaban people to resist this over the island's history of colonial extractivism. 
Missed any of the show or want to listen back? Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters for podcasts of all of our past programs. You can also find Earth Matters on iTunes and Spotify, so give us a review and spread the word. Katerina, uh, you know, as well as being part of the community of Bonobans uh, forced to make a home on Rambi Island after colonial displacement due to phosphate mining, as you've mentioned, you spent a significant amount of time dedicating your scholarship to critically analyzing these processes. And you touched on this a little bit in your first response, but can you tell us a bit more about some of the history of colonial extractive phosphate mining by companies from Australia, New Zealand and Britain and how this did lead to that forced displacement of Bonobans? Yeah, absolutely. So there's quite a, a well-known story. Um, I mean, well-known in terms of people who who study Banaba about how Banaba they found Banaba uh, by analyzing a piece of rock, quite a large rock that was propping up a door uh, at one and a half Macquarie Place in Sydney. It was a company door, and this was a you know regular multinational company which had people prospecting all around the Pacific, mainly looking for guano. And somebody had picked up a rock and it was propping up the door. And one of the um, chemists from the company was like, they were running out of sources of of guano and phosphate. And they looked at that rock and they said, where's that rock from? Uh, You know, it just had been propping up the door. People thought it was wood. And when they analyzed it, they found it was pure phosphate. And so they discovered very quickly that that rock was from Nauru and Nauru was German territory at the time. So they looked on a map and they went, what's the closest thing? And they found, they were like, amazing, this similar geological formation, 200, you know, kilometers or so from Nauru. And they, like the archives are terrible. They're like, get your guns, get on the boats and make a beeline for the island. Make sure you have your gun just in case the natives are stroppy. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's straight out of the colonial playbook. And so when they arrive on Banaba, just like every other island in the Pacific, except for maybe the ones who are you know, savvy with the number of visitors who come, people were welcomed, people were hosted. You know, Banaba was on one of those islands where they had very good protocols and approaches for hosting visitors and looking after them and feeding them. And these guys, when they arrived, they they didn't sit down and have a chat. Like they just went straight for the rocks and started like trying to work out chemically if this was gonna be something valuable. And I've read all the letters, all the company correspondence, and there's no way to sugarcoat it. As soon as they knew what was on that island, they were like, how do we get rid of these people? They were like, they gotta go. This whole thing is made out of phosphate. So, you know, no discussion of people and belonging to land and home and the fact that villages were all over the island, which meant if you were gonna dig, you're gonna have to dig under people's homes, burial grounds, you know, Bonobans bury their ancestors next to their homes. Um, The whole place was, you know, over 2000 years of of Bonobin life, as well as all the plants and animals and everything else. So there was this very consistent, like, how do we get rid of them? We got to get rid of them and then plant the British flag because it did not belong to anyone. And they just made it up on the spot. They created a law out of nothing, you know, had a piece of paper, got some men to put an X on it and, and went from there. 
Um, so, and it's, you know, kind of well-documented like this process. The other interesting thing is that women had a much more, had more of a voice and more of a presence and more of a leadership on Banaba. And they erased that immediately. Any other genders they didn't want to deal with, they just, the white men wanted to deal with the native men and they wanted to cut a deal. Um, so it really messed up a lot of gender relations that existed on the Bana, on Banaba before that where everyone, not only did they have a voice, but Banaba is unusual in that every single person on Banaba, regardless of age, had access to land. Every single person, so a baby, a child, had access to land and had land that they, that they could call their own, which was marked by coconut trees. So the trees were as important as the land and the rocks. You had to have the trees because that was which would show you the boundaries of each. And it wasn't like property, property in the, you know, in the Western sense, but it was quite this beautiful, fluid sense of, of kinship and relations and exchanges that was based on land and access to land. Um, we're not trying to romanticize it, but it functioned really well socially, economically, politically, um, et cetera. So the the mining didn't just, you know, like they used dynamite, they blasted holes in the land, they started digging it up. There was like rocks going out full speed, but it changed the whole system of land tenure, which was actually very, very critical to people's sense of efficacy and agency and self-determination. Like when you talk about indigeneity and people talk about indig indigeneity being based in land in relations to place, Bunnabans have a one-to-one -one ratio, you know, like a one-to-one -one relationship with their lands. And so uh, the miners were like, oh, we got to get rid of this stuff. This is too hard. There's like children lining up here, you know, for us to get leases from them to access their land. They didn't want to deal with children. They didn't want to deal with, you know, they wanted a king. They were like, where's your king? Let's, let's have the king and then the king can sign off on everything. So that, that's kind of how it played out. And at one point, Bonapin said, we don't want to lease any more land. Like, we're done with this. And then they the, they had the resident commissioner write a threat to the Bonapins. And they said, um, uh, he said, you can choose life or you can choose death. Which one do you want? Give up your land and you can have life. If you don't, you are choosing death. We will take it from you. I think the words are, your land will be compulsorily acquired for the empire. Mm. Your land will be compulsorily acquired for the empire. It was inked in writing and Bonobans were, you know, they felt like they were being threatened, obviously being threatened directly. And so this was part of like the buildup of resistance amongst Bonobans. They were like, these people are not asking us, they're just taking the land, you know, mm. so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty bad stuff that went on. Um, and that's how the, the whole thing started to unfold. Japanese targeted the island during World War II because it was a valuable mine. A lot of Bonobans were killed during that period. A lot of workers who were Gilbertese and Tuvaluan, they were also killed. There was a massacre on the island. Um, and so Bonoba unfortunately becomes this kind of, yeah, this space of industry and of empire, of intense colonialism, of luxury. You know, the, the company lived in luxury and shipped in water from Melbourne, shipped in goose and duck and all kinds of fancy things for them to consume while they were digging up Bonobin land. And 
pushing Banabans out further and further until the war happened and then they shipped them off to Fiji. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of how the industry played out. Yeah, I mean, hearing you talk about this, it's it's just so clear that A, there was uh, there was no interest in uh, engaging with people in good faith and B, uh, the way that this is played out is is just, I guess, a significant rupture for Bunaban people in terms of all in one go, the imposition of uh, foreign political authority, the imposition of a different way of uh, relation to land, to of a, a pr- proprietary relation to land, um, of a different set of social relations that devalued a whole set of the Bunaban population. And this idea that, um, you know, that land was just a thing. Um, and so I think this really provides you know, quite a rich context to uh, why Bonobon people are fighting so hard to, uh, you know, repatriate that relationship to land and to say no more uh, no more phosphate mining um, in the area. And I guess that leads into my next question about uh, how foreign political interests, including Australia's, factor into the ability of Bonobans to assert their concerns over and reclaim their relationship to Bonobas lands and waters, and how these have been resisted by Bonobans over time. Because um, I know that part of this forced displacement uh, meant that Bonobans are under the jurisdiction of Kiribati. Is that uh, is that correct? Fiji and Kiribati. Fiji and Kiribati, so, yeah. Sort of between worlds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, Ray, did you want to speak to that first and then Katerina um, add to that maybe? Yeah, so at this present time, you know, our... So we, we use the word, we fall in the crack between two countries, which is Fiji and Kiribati. And, uh, you know, it's challenging for us because uh, you know the occupation of Barnaba by by the crown, and then they left us with the Colonial Settlement Act, both in countries that are not working for our development right now, and it's the very uh, Colonial Settlement Act that we are struggling to to address the issues of mining uh, that has resurfaced through Centrex. Because, uh, you know, first and foremost, the blind deal agreement that was signed uh, did not consider, you know, free prior consent from the the landowners who majority are now residing in Fiji. And uh, now that we are all working with the communities to resist this work, you know, we have to file an injunction in the Kiribati jurisdiction. So... Much of our, you know, uh, political pathways to address these issues uh, is very expensive uh, because, you know, we are here, but everything else has to happen in another jurisdiction. And the cost of which, you know, all of these need to happen is very expensive to actually move around people and, you know, uh, pursue uh, legal redress on what's happening at present and so uh even even in fiji we were part of a discussion on reimagining democracy and recharting uh you know the fiji uh, uh fiji pathway into uh trying to review the current uh 
constitution under the coalition government. And we, we, we found out that our our act, the Banaban Settlement Act, uh, which is uh, uh, under the office of the prime minister, when everything else is being reviewed, every other legislations and act and whatever you call them in the Fiji constitution changes, ours does not communicate with those changes. It's a separate uh, process altogether. Uh, which is why for 77 years we've been in Fiji, our well-being domains are so deficit because we don't go with those changes as they happen. We happen, our changes happen in a, in a what do you call a silo, like in silos. And it's a different process altogether. So that has been, a, you know, the biggest concern uh, because even as they try and repeal or maybe amend some of, uh, you know, the the clauses of our Banaban Settlement Act, uh, nothing is really... It's too difficult. It's, it's too difficult, yeah. It's just a different... So difficult. You've been listening to Earth Matters, a show about environmental and social justice. On today's program, you heard the first part of a two-part conversation that I had in early September 2023 with Professor Katerina Tewa and Itin Terunga Ray Bantes. Katerina and Ray joined me to discuss the colonial history of phosphate mining on the island of Banaba and the fight by Banabans for reparations and an end to extraction. Make sure to tune into next week's episode to catch the second half of this discussion. We'll have a link to the petition started by the Banaban community on Rambi Island, Fiji, which demands a defense of Banaban rights and the prevention of any further mining of the island in our show notes. You can also look it up now on change.org by searching Stop Centrex Mining. That's C-E-N-T-R-E-X. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on unceded Wurundjeri country. We would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting this program out to you. If you'd like to get in contact with the Earth Matters crew, send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or you can look us up on Facebook. Remember, you can always listen back to the show on 3CR's website by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Tune in next week for more Earth Matters. For now, I'll leave you with I Camera, It's a Wonder by Rambi Dancing Group.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.